Welcome to the 417th episode of the Jamie Delaney Plant-Based Wellness Podcast. My name is Jamie Delaney and I'm your host. I'm a plant-based cardiologist and endurance athlete living in Southwest Florida. Welcome and thanks for listening. Hoka 50 mile, Rocky Hoka 50 mile race, February 9th coming up. Um, not really in taper, still in build-up mode here, so trying to get some long runs in uh, before we tackle the 50-miler. This race has been canceled, and we've canceled, so I'm hoping to actually get to see it this year. Fingers crossed. So I'm going to kind of go down the little rabbit hole today on cardiac function and mitochondria and overall health, uh, something that I've been listening to and reading about a good bit over the last week and how it applies to um, mitochondria throughout our body, which are the uh, little organelles that help us to use energy, how that affects overall health, longevity, brain health, heart health, muscle health. The funny thing that happens in my office is that most people come in with a worry that they're not going to get enough of, enough of protein, enough of calcium, um, enough of calories, enough of good food. And it seems to be a theme in our society that we're worried about getting enough of when we have too much of. In my town, there are storage building facilities going up all over the place for people to store their stuff. Some of them are quite fancy, multi-story. They're like apartment complexes, but they're just storage units to store stuff that people don't have room for in their houses. Sometimes people move to Florida and they don't want to get rid of their northern stuff. They come down here and they get southern stuff and they store stuff, whatever. Most people have more stuff than they need in their houses, and it also translates to your body. As we get older, we have more stuff that we have to store. So when we eat things that we don't use everything and can't metabolize them or can't get rid of them quick enough, our body ends up storing them. And so over the, over the years and time, we end up accumulating too much metabolic waste and it interferes with how our cells can clean themselves up and how they function and the next thing you know the cells don't work properly. Well one of the things that we don't have enough of as we get older or we want to make more of or keep are mitochondria. Mitochondria are this little organelles inside our, inside our cells and in a muscle fiber you can have more than one mitochondria but they contain their own mitochondrial DNA and they make proteins that are needed and utilized to run our body's metabolic pathways to generate energy for our body, both from fat and carbohydrates. If we can't use what we eat to generate energy, our body ceases to function. So we're um, Somewhat, well, some of us are more efficient than others. Our brains are gas hogs for carbohydrates, so our brain burns a significant amount of energy or carbohydrates generated into energy and a significant amount of our, our total calories for the day. Um, so depending on how much our mitochondria can perform is basically how much or how well we can perform. When I first started running, um, I was running three miles you know, for exercise. And one day I got a postcard in the mail about running a marathon in Rome. 
and I've told this story before on the podcast, but the idea of running a marathon suddenly became something that I really wanted to do. And I ran my first marathon, and then I thought, wow, maybe I could run faster in subsequent marathons. So I started running marathons um, one or two a year because I learned at that time that running more than one or two marathons a year could be detrimental, uh, both recovery. And the other thing that I learned was that after you run 26.2 miles, that on average you need about 26 days to fully recover from that marathon. That was a rule of thumb in some of the early books that I had read on, you know, non-elite people running marathons. And so I would run a marathon, recover, not really 26.2 days, but recover. It seemed like it would take me two or three weeks to kind of get back going, and then I would start going back, and I would ramp up. And if I ramped up too quick... I would end up getting injured. I had a couple stress fractures early on because I tried to go too much too quick or I, I got thrown my back out a couple times because I decided I want to go faster and I was going to go faster too early. Um, so, I, so I would get in trouble if I started back too hard, too quick, too often. And then I started running more and I found out about this thing called Marathon Maniacs. And those maniac people were running marathons every weekend. And you could get in the club if you ran three marathons in three months or so many. And the club was basically a T-shirt that said Marathon Maniacs. But I started reading about these people, and obviously that became intriguing. And there were a couple marathon running series, um, rock and roll marathons, that you could get these really cool medals, rock and roll type medals from various cities. So my friends and I started running uh, these rock and roll marathons and signing up for them on a fairly frequent basis. And the next thing you knew, we actually qualified for the Marathon Maniacs Club by running three marathons in three months or six months or something along that line that seemed like that it might be hard to do. Um, My endurance uh, appetite increased when friends Um, taunted me with the idea of doing an Ironman, uh, where you swim 2.4 miles, you bike 100 miles and a little bit, and you swim, then you run 26.2 miles. And to me, at that time, that seemed like it would be a a daunting task. How could you get off the bike and then run for 26 miles? And the next thing you know, I started training for those things, and it became not that big a deal to get off the bike and, and run. Uh, for 26 miles. And so we were doing marathons and triathlons. And then when you looked at running a marathon and you only had to run as opposed to swim and bike and then run, it's like, well, that's not that bad. And then I read a book um, by Dean Carnazes, The Ultra Marathon Man, and then Born to Run, who I had um, Chris McDougall on a few podcasts back. Um, you know, about people that were doing ultra marathons where you run more than 26.2 miles and up to 100 or even 250 mile races. And then I had Harvey Lewis on where he ran 364 miles in an event where he ran and ran and ran. Um, And so when you start looking at some of these, it's like, how do these people recover? 
What's the difference between somebody running 200 miles or Harvey runs a ultra marathon and the next day he runs to work? How does this possibly happen if you're supposed to wait 26.2 days? Well, it comes back to the muscle adaptation. When people do endurance activities for long periods of time, they develop more mitochondria in these muscles and the mitochondria are more efficient at actually extracting oxygen and your heart is better at producing or, or getting the oxygen to flow. And so these people all of a sudden were recovering or able to recover faster by way of just running more. If you look at the elite aspect of cycling, the Tour de France riders ride hundreds of miles for the whole month of July and they ride and they ride hard and they come back to the hotel and the next day they go again and they are recovered and they continue to keep doing. How do they do it? Again, they have an increased mitochondrial capacity that allows them to extract oxygen, to clear out their cells, efficiently burn um, fuel for energy, and they can come and go again. Do these people have special genetics? No. Um, I shared a post where the 100-year-old lady still doing ultra-marathons. Um, she uh, setting records. Um, there was a study looking at um, the ability of the VO2 max, and I'll probably I'll go into that a little bit, of um, 80-year-olds that were former uh, elite skiers, in the Netherlands versus 80-year-olds that were sedentary in the United States. And it turns out that even 80 and 90-year-olds can maintain this mitochondrial level of fitness by being lifelong exercisers. So we know that endurance athletics improve mitochondrial density, mitochondrial density and function, and you can keep them as you get older if you continue to exercise, and that mitochondrial function is very important with regard to chronic lifestyle diseases. So there's a measurement to kind of determine how much, how many mitochondrial, uh, or how your mitochondrial function is, and is basically uh, one of the measurements that correlate with mitochondrial function is VO2 max, and a lot of people wear smartwatches that record VO2 maxes, and they follow it and um, track it. VO2 max is measured most specifically in a laboratory where someone is placed either on a bicycle or a treadmill and the, the oxygen that they inhale is measured as well as the carbon dioxide that they expel is measured and so is the lactate uh, and uh, blood chemicals measured as they go to exhaustion. So that's the most formal way of measuring VO2 max. It's the amount, the maximum amount of oxygen that the body can uptake. And it's reflected by how much oxygen you can diffuse through your bronchial tree into the arteries in your lungs and how much oxygen your heart can, your, how much blood your heart can pump to your muscles, tissues, organs, and then how much the muscle actually extracts. So if you look at venous blood versus arterial blood, venous blood is darker because it's, the oxygen has been extracted. The interesting thing is if you look at venous oxygen saturation, it's around 60-70%. So 
we don't extract all the oxygen out of our blood into our tissues. We extract, you know, just a portion of it. Um, altitude also plays a role um, on how much oxygen your oxygen um, consumption decreases with increasing altitude. And but the most important thing is probably cardiac function, the ability of your heart to pump blood to your muscles. So you can see that endurance. Um, activities increase the heart's ability to pump blood and probably increase the vascular markers and vascular reactivity that allows more blood to be pumped to the tissue. So a big part of it is cardiac output. So numbers, um, a cardiac output less than, or I'm sorry, a VO2 max less than 20 is very poor. Um, less than 14 is probably, um, you know, impending doom, death. Um, and VO2 maxes of elite athletes are somewhere in the 70 to 80 range, typically. When you get to the elite level, the VO2 max, um, you know, if you put two people on the start line and one had a VO2 max of 70 and the other 80, uh, wouldn't necessarily define the winner. There are other factors but certainly elite athletes um, have much higher VO2 max than recreational athletes. Tracking VO2 max in the presence of cardiac dysfunction can be a prognostic indicator. So people that have had congestive heart failure and their oxygen consumption is declining, that would be a marker of uh, things aren't going so well. We're going to run the 50-mile race in Leadville, Colorado with elevations around 10,000 to 12,000 feet. And according to um, Tim Noakes, The Lore of Running, there is a 10% decrease for every 1,000 meters over 1,200 meters. So 1,200 meters is roughly um, getting close to, let's see, um, close to 4,000 feet above sea level. So 10% decrease everything over 4,000 feet. So um, his reference was people that climb Mount Everest, their VO2 max declined to 20%, 27% of what it would be at sea level, which is significant. But you can also see that at Leadville, it's going to be a bit of a decrease. So that's um, one reason why we have a little trouble up there. One of the reasons that altitude causes a problem is the ability to get the oxygen from your lungs into the blood, the bloodstream through the lungs. So any kind of cardiac dis or pulmonary dysfunction, so people that have thickened arteries in their lungs from various conditions can have a lot of trouble at altitude getting oxygen into the blood vessel, uh, worse with increasing altitude. The other thing is depth and rate of respiration. So that's why I'm practicing breathing through my nose and breathing, di doing diaphragmatic uh, respirations. And when I'm running and breathing through my nose and it's harder, I keep telling myself it's harder now, but maybe it'll be easier in Leadville if I keep practicing good diaphragmatic breathing and improving lung capacity and the ability to sustain an increased respiration rate. VO2 max has also been correlated with dementia. 
um, there was a Finnish study that looked at um, change in oxygen VO2 max and um, one standard deviation improvement in VO2 max was associated with a 20% decrease in dementia. So it's another reason uh, for people to either prevent, decrease, delay Alzheimer's dementia or delay the progression is to increase mitochondrial density, increase VO2 max by endurance or prolonged exercising to decrease um, the rate of cognitive decline because, as I said earlier, your brain is a gas guzzler when it comes to energy and your brain needs to be able to extract um, and use glucose and turn it into energy for brain function. So the more efficient your brain is, uh, the more mitochondria that your body has, the more oxygen you can extract. To me, I would take this a step further when it comes to nutrition. And when I look at a ketogenic diet, which is a diet of starvation, your body is making some ketone bodies that your brain can utilize for energy because it doesn't have carbohydrate source, which it prefers, you're running on empty as far as your brain goes and you're straining things further over time. Um, Again, a ketogenic diet is associated with a loss of muscle mass over time because if you continue to, um, you'll, you'll continue to catabolize some muscle to try to burn a little oxygen or to try to make a little carbohydrate for your brain. Um, so over time, this will be a very poor way to maintain mitochondrial function to maintain VO2 max. Um, the athletes, endurance athletes, Tour de France athletes, they're not going to run on bacon. They're going to run on carbohydrates. That's the fuel that your, their body needs to run and sustain. You have to be able to take up and absorb the, the fuel and the calories. And part of that comes from the health of the gut, the vascular supply to the gut. So blood supply to the gut and vascular health is important. Again, eating greens, generating nitric oxide, dilating blood vessels. VO2 max is measured on a watch, you know, whether you have an eye watch or a Garmin or a polar watch. By using heart rate, average heart rate and VO2 max are inversely related. So the higher the average heart rate, the lower the VO2 max um, the other thing that occurs is if your heart rate goes up per, um, more so during a training period than it usually does, it will cause an it will cause a decrease in your VO2 max. So if you um, have a cold and you're not feeling very well and you go out to exercise and your heart rate goes up quicker than it normally would, you could expect to see a decline in your VO2 max. So if we kind of put it all together, steady constant efforts on a frequent basis improves cardiac function, mitochondrial density, and function so that you can increase blood flow to your tissues and um, everything works better and you're able to use energy better and you generate less metabolic waste because you're kind of keeping the fire burning, so to speak. So our sedentary lifestyles of accumulating too much of and not doing enough of um, exercise is, is kind of the basis for a lot of our lifestyle diseases. 
And you see little internet wars on, you know, is it diet or is it exercise? But obviously, it's it's both. The more efficient that you eat, um, the the better you can maintain your, you know, the function of your body. If you think about it like a car, you know, if you have a really nice car and you put really good gas in it, it's going to function better than if you uh, put the cheap stuff in it. If you run good tires, the car is going to function better than if you put just cheap uh, Sears and Robux tires on the car. So even if the mechanics of the car is a Formula One race car, if if you dumb it down with some of the things you put in it to make it not work as well, um, it'll result in, in more, a poor, uh, more poor for, uh, function. A race car is still faster than a horse and buggy because of how it's built, but to maintain it, you have to take care of it. People worry about how heavy their shoes are or how much their bike weighs or the pedals on their bike weighs, but then they don't look at their own body to see how efficient Um, they can make themselves by being more lean. You see people spending lots of money to figure out how to sit on the bike, but um, they're not looking at what sits on the bike or what's fueling uh, the body that makes the pedals go around. If your body is clogged with metabolic waste, then it's not going to function as well as if you're eating foods that burn clean without a lot of metabolic waste. On that same note, an interesting study was published in Nature magazine in December that looked at the gut microbiome and motivation for exercise. And it was a mouse study, but when they um, looked at certain gut bacteria, certain gut bacteria, good gut bacteria generate more dopamine, serotonin, and especially dopamine. And it was found that the more, um, the better the gut microbiome, the better, and so you can translate that, the better the nutrition, the higher fiber diet um, led to a better gut bacteria and more motivation to exercise, which again, uh, the more you exercise, the more everything else uh, improves. So everything kind of lines up. If you are eating foods that are heavily contaminated with pesticides and herbicides, then you may ultimately be destroying the own the, your own uh, bacteria, your own bugs in your intestine. This can also lead to dysbiosis in the gut and ultimately impaired immune function and worsening overall health. So what you eat is important, what you do is important. Uh, so you got to keep plugging away and try to make every day a little bit better. It is January the 19th. Um, I think January the 18th was supposed to be the day people stopped going to the gym. I hope that's not the case. I hope people continue to uh, keep those New Year's resolutions going. We are day nine, or day, this is the 19th um, of our 31 day wellness challenge, and it's going very well. I've had some really good feedback. People, starting to lose weight and glucose is getting better and enjoying the the mobility and strength training training um, exercises that we're uh, having in the daily challenge. Um, One of the biggest uh, things that we did in class, we actually uh, have added a balance class to um, our practice and mobility class and getting up off of the floor without using your hands has been a big one. Uh, for the challenge and it's really opened some eyes for people that 
um, never really thought much about their mobility and hip function and ankle flexion. So, you know, just focusing on small things that you can't do and setting some goals uh, to keep working on on things just to get a little bit better each day. Um, a couple minutes, you know, on each leg or each arm, um, you know, stand-up breaks at work, do a little bit of shoulder mobility, um, walks at work, parking farther away from the entrance to the grocery store, Please go get your own groceries. Don't have them delivered. It's another activity that you can do to get some walking and endurance in. So anything you can do to increase your endurance, time on your feet, walking, um, is is going to be a great thing. Anything you can do to increase your mobility or uh, just time spent on the ground is going to increase your mobility because when you're on the ground, your hips have to be flexed, your knees have to be flexed, your ankles are flexed. So spend a little time on the ground watching TV and stretching a little bit more. Um, add a little bit more endurance training to your um, activities. Certainly do strength training. I'm not anti-strength training. Uh, it needs to be part of um, the process to maintain muscle mass as well. But Um, I think overall we've become too sedentary. Life is just a little too easy for most of us. And we have to focus on lifting heavy things and moving over distance in time. So if you have a physical job, great. If you have to lift things at your work, great. Uh, Lift when you can. But if you have an office job and it's a sit-down job, then you have to find ways to do it um, to get it in during the day. The Super Bowl is not too far away. Uh, there's a lot of different um, sauces out there that you can make. Um, you can do tortillas without um, salt and fat. Um, we're going to make a nacho um, sauce tomorrow in, in our nutrition class using oats and red roasted peppers. But there's a lot of different sauces out there that you can Google and find ways to make uh, traditional um, Super Bowl dishes. Um that are healthy. Certainly carrot dogs can be great. Um, I like the carrot dogs wrapped in our uh, sourdough bread to make little pigs in the blanket um, are a really great hors d'oeuvre. Stuffed um, potatoes with hummus is another great hors d'oeuvre that you can take places. Um, You can do cauliflower with a roasted red pepper sauce. Um, You know, obviously cowboy caviar, Uh, pasta salad. So there's a lot of things that you can make to take to a Super Bowl party or a football game celebration that don't have to be bad. So don't rely on other people to be making things for you um, because chances are if if that's not the way they live, it's going to be more difficult for them. So by eating great food or bringing great food with you, you might um, just tip the tip the tide for people to inquire more about what you're doing, but maybe not, and it doesn't matter. Um, The idea is to take care of yourself, to keep on track, to keep moving forward, and uh, not get sucked back into that um, middle of, um, you know, people just riding riding it out as they uh, get sicker and accumulate metabolic waste. So keep the metabolic waste idea in your mind. Think about that garage Uh, that's filling up that you'd like to empty out. Think about not having to have a storage shed 
for your metabolic waste, uh, which would be adipose tissue or, um, you know, uh, unfortunately heavy metals get stored in your brain and your heart leading to inflammation and dysfunction. So there are a lot of things out there that we come in contact with that, that destroy us over time. So be mindful of it and choose wisely as you go to various celebrations and parties um, uh, throughout the, the new year. If you want to learn more about our practice and our little uh, outlier population that we call a plant-based wellness practice, go on over to drdelaney.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-D-U-L-A-N-E-Y, and uh, look what we have to offer. We have three levels of membership. Uh, a um, access All members have access to our uh, members-only web content and our wellness challenges and our nutrition courses. Uh, and then we have a level, so level one is a monthly call from our registered dietitian. Level two is a call from me and our registered dietitian each month. And level three, I function as um, a um, physician in every aspect. And people get my phone number and uh, email and can text me and ask me questions anytime they want. So uh, check that out. And I'd love to hear from you. Again, um, I'm going to be in Texas at the Rocky Hoka 50-miler in February. And then we're to Stewart, Florida for the Treasure Coast Marathon. We're going to have quite the plant-based crowd. So I can't wait to see all the people there that uh, are uh, healing through plant-based nutrition and um, increasing their mitochondria through endurance athletics. So come and join us. Um, give me an email if you have any questions, jamie at drdelaney.com. Love to hear from you. I think your body can heal if you just let it, uh, give it a chance. I think we can all do more than we think we can. Like um, uh, Ken Clauber says at Leadville, I think that's a great, great motto. So um, keep at it. Keep moving forward. And I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.